When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 447th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going across the pond to a place that I would love to explore. This reminds me of the Smithsonian with so many things stored in so many different buildings. This is the British Museum. Awesome. Looking forward to it. There is so much stuff in this place, including some haunted stuff. And of course, why wouldn't there be? These are objects from all around the world, many of them very ancient. Before we get into that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Lisa. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Noddity. There's a small village in Bengal, India, where a little boy was born in 1783. The midwife assisting the birth was so shocked by the child's appearance that she tried to kill him by throwing the boy into the fire. The baby had two heads. Fortunately, the baby survived with some burns in one eye and ear. Although the parents were shocked, they began to see their baby as a money-making opportunity, so they decided to head to Calcutta so their son could be put on exhibit. The young child became very popular, garnering requests for private showings by India's noblemen, civil servants, and city officials. If this wasn't sad enough, his parents used to cover their son with sheets for long periods of time to keep those who hadn't paid to view the boy from having a peek. Now, although the boy was described as being two-headed, he did not have two heads growing out of a single neck. Instead, the second skull sat inverted on top of the main skull. The second head had a few irregularities. The ears were malformed, the tongue was small, and the lower jaw was diminutive. But other than that, both heads were the same size and were covered with black hair at their junction. Although they were fused, the heads did react independently from each other. When the boy laughed or cried, the upper head didn't always respond, and there were times recorded that when the child slept, the second head would be awake actively viewing their surroundings. Despite being unusual, the boy did not seem to suffer any ill effects from the parasitic twin. One day, at the age of four, the boy's mother left him alone while she fetched water. When she returned, she found her son deceased from a cobra bite. Eventually, the boy's corpse was dissected and was found to have two completely independent brains. 
These types of parasitic twins are known as craniopagus parasiticus and are an extremely rare type of parasitic twinning that occurs in about 2 to 3 in 5 million births. Typically, the twins do not survive birth. Though the boy did die young, the fact that he survived to the age of 4 with this rare form of parasitic twinning only to meet his demise due to a cobra bite certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. In the month of August, on the 20th in 1804, the Lewis and Clark expedition suffers its only death. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark had gathered together 35 men to form the Corps of Discovery to explore into the western part of the United States to prepare for westward expansion. They were three months into the voyage when Sergeant Charles Floyd became ill for several days. He seemed to get better for a while, but on August 15th came down with what they described as a, quote, violent colic, and he was sick all night. By the night of August 19th, the young man was close to death, and Clark sat up with him trying to make him comfortable. Sergeant Floyd died the next afternoon, and the Corps buried him on a high bluff they named Floyd's Bluff in his honor. The bluff overlooked a stream that they named Floyd's River as well. Modern physicians believe that based on the symptoms described by Lewis and Clark, Sergeant Floyd had acute appendicitis. This was the only death the Corps of Discovery suffered throughout the two-year expedition. The British Museum in London is a sight to behold with over 13 million objects in its vast collections from around the world. Over 17,000 people visit the 14-acre complex every single day, making it the most popular attraction in Great Britain. There is no doubt with the relics and other objects that are here that a ghost or two might be hanging out due to attachments and such. And keeping in mind that some of these collections should probably be repatriated to their home countries, it's no wonder that spirits may be at unrest. Join us as we explore the history, collections, and hauntings at the British Museum. The British Museum was the first national museum of its kind, meaning it was not owned by a monarchy or private collector. Originally founded in 1753 by an act of parliament, the doors officially opened in 1759. The creation of this museum was inspired by a man named Sir Hans Sloan, a London-based doctor and scientist who had a vast collection of curiosities, books, manuscripts, dried plants, drawings, and international antiquities. When he died in 1753, he bequeathed his collection to King Charles II for the nation of Great Britain. A 17th-century mansion named Montague House was chosen to house the museum. The house had been built by a Frenchman called Puget and was the grandest private residence in London at the time. This was the first public building to be electrically lit. Only the well-connected were able to get tickets to see the collections until 1830, when the museum was completely open to the public. 
Some of the key artifacts that the museum acquired in the 19th century include the colossal bust of Ramses II, marble sculptures from the Parthenon on the Acropolis in Athens, Assyrian and Babylonian antiquities, and the Rosetta Stone. These all laid the foundations for many of the 94 collections at the museum, like the Egyptian, Ancient Near Eastern, Animals, Africa, and Charles Townley Collection. It was becoming apparent that the Montague House was too small to hold the many objects being acquired by the museum, and it was getting too crowded with people as well. This pushed a building committee to form to expand the museum. Architect Sir Robert Smirk, who specialized in the neoclassical style, was assigned the task of designing an addition to the museum on the eastern side and a main building to replace the Montague House, which was demolished. What came out of Smirk's work was a monumental Greek revival building with four wings, 43 Greek temple columns, large steps, and triangular pediment constructed from concrete, cast iron framing, London stock brick, hater granite, and Portland stone. Bits and pieces of the museum opened over time. The King's Library Gallery in the East Wing, which held King George III's collection, which included more than 65,000 books, was opened in 1827, although the whole wing wasn't completed until 1831. The West Wing was completed in 1846, and the South Wing in 1847. The forecourt opened in 1852, and the rest of the museum opened to the general public in 1857. The main quadrangle building won the Royal Institute of British Architects gold medal. All throughout the construction, the museum continued to acquire objects and even started its first overseas excavations in 1840. This was in Asia Minor and recovered the remains of the tombs of the rulers of ancient Lycia. There were more excavations in Assyria, and eventually, Ashurbanipal's great library of cuneiform tablets was discovered. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the 4th century BC mausoleum of Halicarnassos, was discovered by Charles Newton in 1857. By 1900, the museum again needed more space, so property was bought around the museum, houses were demolished, and new wings were built. The North Wing opened in 1914, and a conservation laboratory was added in 1920. This latter development was due to damage that some objects suffered after being moved to protect them during World War I. Objects would again be moved during World War II to protect valuable collections from air raids. The Duveen Gallery was indeed heavily damaged by bombing. This was repaired, and much of the museum was restored as collections were brought back after the Blitz. There was more expansion in the 1970s, and purpose-built galleries were added in 2000. Queen Elizabeth II's Great Court opened in 2000, which includes the reading room that is open to anyone for reading, and is the largest covered square in Europe. Today, the museum has expanded to include the Natural History Museum with 70 million objects, and the British Library with 150 million objects. Can you imagine having that many books in a place? No. I mean, I'm sure they're not all books, but wow. The British Museum has over 13 million objects. So Kelly, why don't we take ourselves a little virtual trek through some of the collections that we have here in the museum and just share what catches our eye with the listeners. Does that sound all right? Sounds good to me as long as it's not a rabbit hole because I'm running out of ways to get out of them. This place is loaded with mummies. You got to love a good mummy, right? Did you ever see that movie? It's a good movie. I did. The Gabaline pre-dynastic mummies, which are six naturally mummified bodies that date to 3400 BC, are sitting here. Two of these have been identified as male and one as female, and the others are of undetermined sex. So I guess we could call them non-binary. Oh, my word. <laughs> we have a term for that now. The mummies were found lying on their left sides in the fetal position. 
So that would leave us to believe that they were actually put in the fetal position when they were buried. I'm assuming this is part of their custom. I don't know what the significance of the left side is. Yeah, I would venture to say so. And I'm not sure where they were buried, but clearly it was someplace that they were able to naturally mummify. Because most of the mummies that you've got here inside the British Museum, of course, are from Egypt and they're wrapped and all that good stuff. The battlefield palette is known by several other names. The vulture's palette, the giraffe's palette, or the lion palette. Archaeologists believe that this may be the earliest battle scene representation on a ceremonial or ornamental cosmetic palette from ancient Egypt. This dates to around 3100 BC. I'm assuming all those different names that they have for it is whatever part you're looking at. It must have the different animals on it. Here we have several of the original casing stones from the Great Pyramid of Giza, as most of our listeners probably know is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It seems that there's something from almost all of the seven wonders of the ancient world in this museum. Amazing. One of the oldest papyri from ancient Egypt is over here. Oh, and you got to love this, Kelly. The Coffin of King, and I'm going to butcher this name horribly. There's not enough vowels here. I believe it's Nubkehe Perry Intef. Does that sound about right? I'm going to leave that up to you, darling. <laughs> he was from Thebes, and this dates to 1570 BC. It is pretty amazing. You're familiar with the Great Sphinx of Giza? Of course. So we not only have a piece, a few pieces from the Great Pyramid of Giza, we have a fragment from the beard of the Great Sphinx of Giza. That's pretty incredible. Oh. The Book of the Dead of Nejmet, with painted offering vignettes and columns of hieroglyphic text is here. Nejmet was the wife of the high priest of Amun at Thebes. Kelly, look at this. This is the brass head of an uni of Ife, it's I-F-E, which was a king in Nigeria. And it was actually found by accident. Oh, wow. Lucky find. Yeah. I guess that's what you call a happy little accident. Yeah. Pretty cool looking. There's a bronze statue of the Buddhist goddess Tara, which was found in Sri Lanka. I love how you're our own personal little tour guide. Yeah. I mean, look at me. I'm just skipping on down and pointing to things and telling people what the little card says. I don't know that much else about this <laughs> stuff. And truth be known, Kelly, most of the people here don't know that much about the stuff that's here either. They try to date it to a certain time, but let's face it, we pretty much don't know what they used a lot of this stuff for. We're just guessing because we weren't there. Now, if we could get a time travel machine, we could really figure this stuff out. I'm going Bill and Ted. <laughs> Here we go. We have some chess pieces that were found on the Isle of Lewis in Scotland. They're made from walrus ivory and whale's teeth. They date between 1150 and 1200 A.D. The Nereid Monument is from Turkey, and it looks like they brought back the whole thing, Kelly. This thing is massive. Wow, look at that. This looks like a Greek temple with the columns, and between the columns are statues of the Nereids, which were mythical sea nymphs and daughters of the sea god Nereus. This dates to around 390 to 380 BC. Simply amazing. And nearly all of them have lost their heads. Oh my gosh. The mausoleum, and I'm going to probably butcher this name again, of Halicarnosus from Turkey was a tomb built for a king and was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So we've got another one of these here. This mausoleum stood 131 feet tall and had colossal freestanding statues and marble relief slabs. And the pyramid roof was crowned by a four-horse chariot, and only parts of it are here now. It's pretty stunning to view. It really is. I think most people are familiar with the name Rothschilds, maybe not necessarily in a positive light, but we won't go down that conspiracy road. One of the Rothschilds left his collection to the museum, and it's known as the Waddesdon Bequest. 
And I believe that was named for his home. I think his home had that name or something. One of the pieces that caught our attention here is the Holy Thorn Reliquary. This was fashioned in Paris in 1400 and was made to display a thorn, get this Kelly, from the crown worn by Jesus at the crucifixion. It's amazing. The thorn is behind a crystal window. Now, of course, that's what they claim with legend. If it's really a thorn from that, we'll never know. But pretty cool. Don't touch it. (laughs) Baron Rothschild got it in 1860, and it had been part of the Holy Roman Emperor's imperial treasury at one time. Kelly, look at this little thing. (laughs) This cheeky little guy is known as the Huntsman Automaton. He was crafted by Wolf Christoph Ritter of Nuremberg in the early 1600s and is quite rare, as most of these didn't survive because they were a part of German drinking parties. Oh, my word. They got a little crazy with these things. Apparently. They got broken a lot. These were trick wine cups. There was a mechanism that would propel the cup across a table on three hidden wheels in the base, and whomever the automaton stopped in front of was expected to remove the head and chug the wine inside the body. That is way more interesting than beer pong. (laughs) Most definitely. (laughs) Here we have the Assyria Nimrud collection, and it features carved stone panels depicting the king and his subjects doing various activities. But what interested us about this is that one panel features the king engaging in ritual scenes with protective demons. At least that's the way the museum puts it, protective. All righty then. So I'm trying to figure out how a demon would be called protective. Maybe a protective spirit. I've never thought of a demon as protective, at least not of a human, maybe of their own territory or something. And where's our weird Bible people? There goes Kelly raising her hand over there. (laughs) Pick me. Me, me, me. pick me. (laughs) Another room here is the Assyrian Nineveh collection. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and the place God sent Jonah to preach. And Jonah decided he didn't want to do that, if you guys recall that story. So God sent a storm that nearly took out the ship he was on. And the crew threw him overboard when they realized he was the issue. And of course, I think everybody knows how the rest of this story went. (laughs) I would certainly hope so. He ended up in the belly of a giant fish for three days. Or some people put it, Jonah in the belly of a whale. But the Bible just says it's giant fish. The stone panels in this collection feature scenes of the transporting of huge sculptures of human-headed winged bulls called Lamassu. And were located at the entrances of the palace. If you've listened to the Ghost in You podcast, which I host, there's an episode there about angels. These Lamassu actually are thought to depict what cherubim probably looked like. They had two wings and four faces. One was a lion, another an ox, another an eagle, and the last a human. If anybody has seen one of these Lamassu, it doesn't have four faces, but it has four parts of its body, which match those. Part of it looks like a lion, part of it looks like an ox. It's got two wings, and then you have the head of a human on it. So I think that's what it's depicting. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Kelly, you and I, we've bought a couple of homes in our time. Yes, we have. And we know it is a very stressful thing to do. You need a partner to walk through it with you and keep your feet on the ground. Calm your stresses and nerves. And assure you that you are going to reach that finish line in getting your dream home. Sunbright Realty LLC has over 20 years combined experience managing homes and real estate. Broker owner Lou Salvamini is someone you could definitely trust. 
The really cool thing about Lou and Sunbright Realty is they can not only help you sell your home, but help you look for your dream home and help you take care of it afterward. We trust Lou with our home for pest control and taking care of our lawn. He's like a one-stop shop for your home. And you don't have to take our word for it. Here's just one of the five-star reviews that Sunbright Realty's gotten. We highly recommend Sunbright Realty. Lou is an amazing real estate agent who went above and beyond for our family to find us the perfect home. He was always very prompt in returning our calls and messages. He kept us involved in the entire buying process and answered all of the questions we had. He made sure that everything was moving along as necessary to get us to our closing and still answers questions that come up about our new home even after our closing. Lou really is an amazing person and we highly recommend him if you are looking for a home. For more information, check out sunbrightrealty.com. Look Look on on the bright side. The Enlightenment Room would be of particular interest to us and our listeners. There's a lot of cool stuff in here that highlights the seven major disciplines of the Enlightenment. The natural world, the birth of archaeology, art and civilization, classifying the world, ancient scripts, ritual and religion, and trade and discovery. The Enlightenment period was from 1715 to 1789, and people tended to collect sacred objects like charms, amulets, and statuary representing ancient Egyptian, Greek, Roman, and Indian religions. And they also collected items that were used in occult and magical practices. Several artifacts displayed here once belonged to alchemist and occultist John Dee. Dee lived during the Elizabethan period. He was born in 1527 and eventually became an advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, who allowed him to choose her coronation date. He had one of the largest libraries in England, coined the term British Empire, studied mathematics, astrology, alchemy, divination, hermeticism, and the Enochian language. The last bit is said to be an angelic language. He claimed to have conversations with angels and kept journals full of these dialogues. Dee's items that are here at the museum include his magic mirror, magic discs, and crystal ball. The magic mirror is made out of obsidian and came out of Mexico sometime between 1527 and 1530. This sinister-looking black mirror was said to have been used by an Aztec priest to conjure visions. Dee used it to talk to angels and pulled it out for many seances. I wonder if he ever went mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest (laughs) of them all? Or like romper room. I see Diane. I see Kiwi. (laughs) I see Mia laying on the floor. The crystal ball is made from rock crystal and measures only two inches in diameter and was also used for talking to angels via scrying. There are also three magical discs that were made in the late 16th century from wax. There are engravings on these discs that include symbols and inscriptions, and Dee called one of them the Seal of God. Kelly, we thought we'd have a little fun The website for the British Museum, if you go into the collections, you can put in keywords and it'll pop up parts of their collections that go with those words. But you can really see almost everything they have in the museums virtually. That is very cool. Yeah. So we thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to put the term ghost into the collection search? And we were certainly shocked to find that 333 objects popped up. Magic number. There were books, clothing, amulets, and the number one object for the word were drawings, most of them Asian, which I found interesting. We've talked about some of these Asian spirits and stuff in other episodes, and so I think a lot of these are depictions of what they look like. 
And we know that those Asian horror movies are some of the scariest. I'll agree with that. The grudge. Another common item that came up were these netsukis from Japan. These are little statuettes, many of which are pretty creepy looking. Most seem to date to the early 19th century or Edo period. We looked up Natsuki, and they are defined as miniature sculptures that originated in the 17th century in Japan and were initially a simply carved button fastener on the cords of an inro box. They went on to become these ornately sculpted objects. An inro box is a Japanese case for holding small objects and usually worn around the waist of a kimono. Another item that caught our attention was number 10 of 32 issues from volume 2 of an illustrated periodical of 8 pages entitled The New Casket. I mean, if you've got that as your title, I'm zooming in. But the headline was what really did it. It said The Headless Horseman. And the wood engraved illustration features two men on horses looking like they're talking to each other, but one is holding his head under his arm. Well, a little different there. <laughs> this dates to Saturday, March 10th, 1832. I could only read the first couple of paragraphs that were there, and I'm not exactly sure what the story was about. But clearly, the uh, guy holding the head under his arm is not alive anymore, because I don't think you can ride a horse without your head. Well, you could try. I just don't know how successful you'd be. I guess I should shut up, because the headless horseman... And we did a whole episode on those stories, so there's a lot of them out there, I guess. But they are all ghosts. I'm pretty positive. Except for the one that rides down the street at Disney. <laughs> I think he's alive. The British Museum has every reason to be haunted. There are hundreds of objects connected to death, the remains of 6,000 people, and statues of demons and gods. Stories of hauntings are plentiful. Museum staff and visitors have reported doors opening and closing on their own dramatic temperature drops, music from another airplane, many times ancient in origin, and alarms go off on their own for no reason. A Dutch couple was in the clocks and watches gallery and took a picture of a model ship dating person and took a picture of a model ship dating to the 16th century from Germany. They saw in the picture a reflection in the glass case of a female little person who was missing clumps of hair and wearing a 16th century dress. When they turned around, there was no one there. When they asked a woman at the information desk about this development, she directed them to the Spiritualist Association of Great Britain. A picture of what was described as a mummified Mexican baby boy hovering in midair has been taken. Flying pebbles have struck people on the forehead. The CCTV revealed a weird occurrence one evening when a security guard closed and bolted a set of double doors. Another security guard radioed him that the doors were open and still needed to be locked. The first security guard was incensed as he knew he had already locked them, but when he returned, they were wide open. He locked them again and told the other security guard that he knew he locked those doors. They checked the footage, and sure enough, they saw the doors moving on their own. Cool. They caught it on video, though. Yes, definitely. Phil Heary had been a guide at the museum for nearly 30 years, and he had plenty of experiences. He told the MS Amlin website that the Upper Egyptian Gallery always made him feel very uneasy and the temperature plummeted many times in there for no reason. He related, One occasion I will never forget was in the early 1990s when, during a visit by Prince Charles and then-Egyptian President Hazni Mubarak, I was asked to prepare the gallery before the dignitaries arrived. Here he remembers the room feeling as cold as a freezer, his breath making clouds in the air, and there was a foul smell, he said, which made his stomach turn. When another colleague joined him, the gallery suddenly returned to normal. Soon afterwards, Prince Charles and Mubarak arrived on their tour, oblivious to the eerie goings-on. An American-born artist named Noah Angel put together an audio guide called Ghost Stories of the British Museum after interviewing several curators, security guards, and museum guides. 
He told The Economist about some of these stories. And actually, he's told a lot of magazines about these stories. I ran across his stuff over and over and over again. So I would say he's the authority on this stuff. In one story, a security guard found himself inexplicably captivated by a 19th century wooden Congolese sculpture of a dog. Sensing that the sculpture had inanimate powers, he pointed his finger towards it. Should never point your finger at a <laughs> possessed object. And fire alarms in the gallery allegedly went off on cue. Other tales include one of haunted stairwells, a crying caryatid from the Elgin marbles, and secret powers from statues of the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet. A security guard watching live CCTV footage in 2014, which featured a stairwell near the Upper Egyptian Gallery, told Angel that he saw huge orbs of light moving in the air and he described them as hovering, completely static in midair for three or four seconds. They would chase each other around in circles and zip off into the distance. He called a couple of other guards to check it out and they found nothing in the stairwell while at the same time, the security guard was still seeing the orbs on the camera. Oh, wow. So they're moving all around these security guards and they're seeing nothing. Angel shared another story from 2004 about an encounter that got violent. A security guard was locking up doors, but he had some trouble when he got to Gallery 42 with the ancient Anglo-Saxon artifacts on display. One of the artifacts here is the Sutton Hoo helmet, thought to have been worn by a mighty 7th century king of East Anglia called Raidwald. I'm going to see if I can get a picture of that Sutton Hoo helmet to put up on Instagram. It's creepy looking. The doors would not push closed, so he shoved them hard. Angel said, when he did that, he felt very distinctly that someone's wrist came out from between the doors, caught him in his sternum, and knocked him a meter or so onto his backside. This was witnessed by another guard. Yes, he shouldn't have shoved those doors so hard. A psychic medium came through the area and explained why there is activity in this gallery. There had been a conversion of the medieval Christian relics gallery into the Islamic gallery, and apparently some spirit keepers told the psychic the following. Whoever was looking after that, Whoever was linked to those objects, maybe more than one person, has got the hump because you swapped Christianity for Islam. And in the medieval world, in those times, that was the devil. Because you represent the people who work here, you are responsible. That's why the doors closed on you. And that's why your man was thrown. That's what it is. You've replaced Christianity. You have replaced it with something that's a devil to us. You displaced us for that. Yeah, so I don't know if she really was hearing that from the spirits or not, but um, if that's true, yeah, they're, they're not happy about having things switched out. Makes you wonder if you have these Christian spirits and Islamic spirits that are bumping up against each other inside there, too. Right, fighting occasion. back and forth. Yeah. I mean, I think we're surrounded by all of these different dimensions that are around us that we can't even see. That's why I think we're probably surrounded all the time by demons and angels. We'd probably be terrified walking around if we could actually see all these dimensions with our own eyes. So just interesting. A female security guard was down in the storage rooms in the basement turning off lights when she felt like someone was standing behind her. And this is way weird, Kelly. But she told Angel, I felt them reach into my body and grab me by the spine. Oh, my word. It sent the most intense chills up and down my spine. My legs went to jelly. A male security guard went down to check out the rooms after she related what happened to her because he thought the story was bull. And it does sound like bull. Same thing happened to him. He described it as something unseen grabbing his spine. That is bizarre. Yeah, I've never heard that before. I've heard people talk about being touched, having your arm grabbed, hands around your throat, your leg grabbed, something like that. But reaching through your body and grabbing a hold of your actual spine? Yeesh. 
Another weird experience connected to the Egyptian collections is connected to a photo taken of a child. This was in front of a large tableau of hieroglyphics, and a large black mass is seen in the picture that seems to be rising out of the floor. The tourist showed the picture to a guard, who was quite freaked out by it. Jim Peters, a collections manager, said, There was a time when the cleaners refused to clean the cases in the mummy gallery because the mummies would move. So they refused. They genuinely believed that the mummies were moving and refused to go in there. So the museum had to do something about it and get different people in. The museum tried to explain these occurrences as the cleaners just being a little too aggressive in their cleaning and causing a static charge that caused the cloth to move, making it look like the mummies were moving. Okay, I've heard a lot of explanations for supernatural activity before, but something causing a static charge because you are cleaning so vigorously? <laughs> the mummy's arm just moved. I'm sure it's because I just polished the glass on here so well. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting explanation, but no. This would be like a primo job to me as a cleaning person because you get so much satisfaction out of your job anyway. Because you could look around at everything and be like, oh, it's so cool. I get to see all this stuff up close and there's not a bunch of people in here taking pictures and hanging around. But I'd also be really creeped out because it is like this kind of stuff. And it does make you wonder sometimes, are you, are you sure you saw it move or is your brain just playing tricks right. on you because you're cleaning the case of a mummy? One of the more well-known haunted objects at the museum has been dubbed, speaking of mummies, the unlucky mummy. This is actually a coffin lid or what they call a mummy board rather than a mummy. Archaeologists believe it once belonged to a woman of high status who lived sometime between 950 and 900 BC. The mummy lid was excavated in Thebes and bought by four Englishmen, all of whom died in unfortunate circumstances. That had people calling this object cursed. In the early 20th century, journalist William Thomas Steed wrote about the curse in an article and even regaled his fellow passengers on the Titanic with stories about the unlucky mummy. And we all know what happened there. Was this object the real reason the disaster happened? Dun, dun, dun. He should have never said anything about that mummy. That's why the boat hit that iceberg. Iceberg, right ahead! Museums present us all with some moral issues. These are places where we can learn from and experience the past. On the other hand, many places in the world have been vandalized and taken from so that we can have these objects to put on display and perhaps that has led to some disturbed spirits in these museums. Is the British Museum one of these haunted museums? That is for you to decide. And that is a good question. There are so many museums out there that are haunted. A lot of the old houses that we talk about that are haunted houses are museums. And it does make you wonder, is it a matter of things being connected to objects that we're having these kinds of haunting experiences? I know on our last Paranormal Conversations with the Ghoul Guide, she doesn't believe that objects can have attachments. But I don't know. There's just so much of this stuff going on. I can't help but think that there is something to that. 
And you have to wonder, you know, a lot of these items, people go back and forth. Do you repatriate them? Do you not? And if they're not repatriated, is that why we have some of the hauntings going on here? Because you've got mummies going, you took us out of our burial. It's, it's basically, like we say, you should not desecrate a cemetery. And that's what's happened here. You've taken them out and then you're putting them on display. So I don't know. Are they causing their own problems here? Very well could be. Want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We would really appreciate reviews for the show. So wherever you listen to the podcast, please consider dropping a little review for us there. Want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Be sociable, drop the chain rattling, neck biting and shape shifting and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. Keeping in mind that some of the they be 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 nope. <laughs> Sergeant Floyd had a cute a, a cute a hen 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 now you put that in my head. <laughs> la, 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 la. I could see little blue guys building the museum. <laughs> Why not? This was repaired, and much of the museum was But what interested us about this is that one panel features the king engazing, engazing. He's engazing at something. <laughs> she directed them to the spiritualist a say. She directed them to the spiritualist. She directed them to the spiritualist. I can't say it. I can't f- say it. The CCTV The CCTV revealed a weird occurrence. Weird occurrence. Oh boy. Here we go. Strap in. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> Keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times. Because my mouth might chop them off. Because it's just flip-flopping all over the place. (laughs) Now I sound like a turkey. That sounds like a turkey. The CCTV revealed a weird occurrence. Golly, I can't say occurrence. (laughs) Ah, Occurrence. It's in your head now. It's an occurrence. (laughs) I got an occurrence at work.